Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now on Open House, a man who at five years old started to realise his grandfather was, well, a bit different from everybody else's and came to wonder how come so many other people knew his granddaddy. His grandfather was evangelist Billy Graham, one of the most significant figures in Western Christianity over the last century. So what's it been like living in such a family and following in such large footsteps now that 37-year-old Will Graham is likewise touring the world, preaching, evangelising and also a voice for the poor? Will is in Australia at the moment and it's a great privilege that he joins us now on Open House. Will Graham, welcome. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming in. This is one of a number of visits that you actually made to Australia. Been here a few other times before, had wonderful times, been mainly just up and down the Australia's east coast, uh, basically from Tasmania all the way up to Brisbane. And then last year, I actually had a chance to go all the way out to Perth. I, I've kind of missed the middle of the country, but I've been on the on the edges. It, most Australians say there's not much in the middle anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's big. It's big. <laughs> Your impressions of Australia coming I, from I, the United States and also the Australian Christian community. Of all the places I've been, to me, Australia seems to be the most like uh, like my home country of the United States. Um, friendly people, uh, warm people, hospitable people, conservative in their values overall. Uh, doesn't mean that everyone's a Christian, either back home or here in Australia, but no. there's a lot of conservative values, you know, family values. Most people know what's right and wrong, whether they do it or not is a different story, but um, very similar things. They love sports. You guys have turned everything into a sport. <laughs> they I call mean. it a religion here. Well, it, it, <laughs> you've turned what we call a pastime hobby. You guys turned into a professional <laughs> sport, <laughs> like throwing darts. I mean, um, you're dead uh, right about field that. Field hockey. One of my favorite things in the, all the world are two things that I never get back home. That's uh, the AFL. I love watching it. Uh, one of my favorite guys doesn't get to play anymore, but he used to play for uh, Sydney Swans. Who's that? Barry Hall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Big Barry. Big Barry. Yeah, yeah, yes. Big Barry. Uh, and I don't know squat about him, to be honest. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but I just Great remember guy. watching him play, and the guy was a bruiser. Yeah. Uh, everybody was hanging on him, and he could still catch it and kick it through. And but I love watching rugby. And so the, the adventure for sports and the outdoors, uh, something our country loves too, but you guys take it to the extreme. Well, I hope so you I get to it. see something. Well, you're here. You're also here for a series of what you call reality events, which I think is an interesting term. What do you mean by reality then? Basically, they just wanted a time where me as Will Graham could speak to the people about reality, about heaven and hell, about God and what God has done for us. Talk about sin and why sin has separated us from God and what's the solution? What's God's answer to all this? And so uh, we just started calling those reality events. Uh, we did this about two years ago for the very first time uh, in three cities, uh, Moree, uh, Gunnada, and Tamworth. And they all went wonderful. We saw yeah. hundreds of people give their life to Christ, so uh, we greatly rejoice in that. When you preach and speak at these events, are there ways in which, of course, the timeless message of the gospel across all cultures remains the same? But are there ways in which the way you preach and speak is different because of the time in which we live? I think the key thing you said is is the way I preach or speak. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And so that's still the same. People you know, people today, uh, I think one of my biggest criticisms, people say, well, I'm just trying to be an example to my neighbor and live a good life, and hopefully that will lead them to Christ. You know, Actually, that's exactly wrong. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. And so we have to tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, living a good life is very much Absolutely, important. Absolutely, yes. I mean, 
but that only backs up the what you're saying. Most people have it backwards. But when it comes for me to preaching the gospel, I just try to use relevant things that I go through in everyday life. It, coming across culture to here in Australia makes it just a tad bit more difficult because there's some things I I don't understand about everything about Australian culture. Yes. Um, you guys are an odd bunch over here. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we're the odd ones. I don't know. But, you know, but it's trying to relate. Talking about things that people are relevant especially for Aussies and trying to pick up on that and use that as for illustrations. And so it, it, you just communicate timeless truths in a relevant way in all cultures you go into. When you shape your own view of the people to whom you speak and preach, how do you view their greatest needs in 2012, which in some ways may be the same as, for instance, when your grandfather was preaching 50 years ago plus, but in other ways they're different? Well, there are some different things, but I've found out that when you simply preach the Word of God, God uses His Word to speak to their hearts on all different levels. And I learned that as a pastor when I was a pastor in North Carolina. For example, I'll just be preaching on tithing. And a man came up to me after the sermon and says, You know, Will, my wife and I, we rededicate our marriage. We're going to save our marriage. I was like, oh, I didn't preach anything about marriage. I was like, what are you talking about? I preached on tithing. Yeah. You know, what, what? when we were going through the God's word together, God spoke to that individual about something about his marriage, and he realized he needed to do something concerning his marriage. And so when I preach God's word, God's going to use something I've said, something that's in his word, to trigger something in that person's life. And God's going to speak to that person on an individual basis and reveal a need to them that they need to get addressed that he can meet. And so wherever that might be. And so I just try to preach God's word. and uh, But the needs are still the same. Yes. There's nothing new under the sun. The same things that happened to Adam and Eve, to Solomon, to David, to Jesus' time here on earth. All those things are the same. They just take on different forms. You know, people trying to escape reality. Now it's it's drugs. It's alcohol. Sex perversion still rampant as it, it is today as it was back then. I mean, you got to remember, things were so bad that God decided to destroy this world in the time of Noah. I mean, that's how bad it was. So there's nothing new under the sun. We just It just comes in different forms now. When you mention your life as a pastor, you were quite happy being a pastor. I did. Before mm -hmm. someone came and tapped you on the shoulder about stepping up to the Billy Graham organization. You're exactly right. I, I was cutting grass one day, 2006. God just spoke to my heart um, said, Will, it's time for you to, to leave the local church. And I didn't want to. I mean, I love being there. I mean, I love my church. Uh, they took good care of me. Um, we're in the middle of a building campaign. We were a church plant. They paid me well. They gave me time off. I, they, they loved me. They did everything for me. I mean, it was just a great place, and I didn't want to leave. But then God called and told me it was time to come and help my father. And working for family is sometimes tough. And <laughs> so, you know, uh, I love my father, but sometimes it's nice when you could tell your dad no. Yeah. Now I work for my father. So, um, But God's the one that called me. And so I know even those tough times when my dad and I, we hit heads on like a father and son do. And I love my father. But, you know, we hit heads because we're so much alike. But I realize it's God that's called me here to do it. And so we keep pushing on together. Yeah. I think it's notable that the emphasis in and around the Billy Graham organization, and you spoke about your dad, has somewhat evolved from the heyday of your grandfather's crusades, which we'll get to, of course, especially with your dad's commitment to Samaritan's Purse, that the poor of the world are very much on his radar. It has. It's always, and it's been on my grandfather's radar all these years, but it's a lot more evident yes. in my father's life, uh, mainly through the work of Samaritan's Purse. It's an organization that he did not start. It was started by a man named 
Bob Pierce, the same man who started World Vision. So World Vision and Samaritan's Purse are really sister organizations. My father always said that God put them in the ditches of life to help those people. And so, uh, and my dad believes that anytime God reveals a need, and this regardless of if you're in ministry or not, but if God reveals a need that you need to meet for somebody, then God expects you to do something about it. That's why he's revealed it to you. Whether it's feeding them, get them housing, give them clothes, tell them about whatever it is, you got to do it. And so, uh, Samaria's Purse has worked all around the world, um, here in Australia as well, but in different places of the world that need it. And so, uh, it's been a wonderful ministry. If you've got that call, how can you possibly turn your back on it? That's right. You, you can, you, when God's given you a call, you've you got to respond. Before we get to talk about your grandfather, can we talk about your dad first, Franklin Graham, another world-renowned evangelist? But he arrived there after running off the rails a bit, didn't he? Somewhat like Jonah. Yes. You know, he ran the opposite direction. Yeah. He didn't want to be a preacher. The religion thing wasn't him. And so he wasn't going to pretend. He just went the other direction. Now, he loved his mom and dad. He respected them. He loved them. Uh, he always thought the world of his parents. He just said, I just don't want to be a preacher. And I think part of that was because everybody was trying to make him into a preacher. Well, you're Billy Graham's son. you you got to be a preacher. You can only begin to understand the pressure. I mean, and you'd have a, as good an insight into that as anyone. Well, he, he, he just said, forget this, you know. So he kind of ran his own life, and it just went downhill. You know, anytime you're apart from Christ, your 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 life goes downhill. How did that play out practically in his well, life? Well, um, just rebellion against God. Uh, but to be honest, my dad was actually a pretty good person. Um, I think he talks about doing drugs once in his life, but for him, it was at least cigarettes and alcohol that were kind of consuming him. And then one day, he just he's often said, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then I knew I needed to come back to the Lord. And he gave his life, turned his life over to Jesus Christ. And uh, that was in his early 20s. And then uh, he soon got married and then I came along, so um, and so. Um, he had to clear his act up then. Yeah, but you know that's God used his rebellion to take my dad to a certain place in life where he realized that there was no happiness apart from him, and so my dad surrendered his life to Christ and been serving the Lord ever since. And you've not gone through that rebellious period. No, yourself. My, my man, my dad disciplined me. Man, I didn't have, I didn't have any room for <laughs> that's rebellion. the interesting thing. Yes, <laughs> on Open House, we're with uh, Will Graham from the Billy Graham Organization. Will, can I take you back to the age of five? Tell us about that time and how it played out that you started to realize, well, my family's a bit different from others. I remember when I was about five years old, I was in the first year of school. And I remember one of my teachers came up and said, hey, this is Billy Graham's grandson, talking to another teacher. I was like, man, how does she know who my granddaddy was? You know, (laughs) And so I didn't, you know, I didn't. No, anything. I went to public schools, just like every normal kid. I didn't go to a Christian school or anything like that. But all my friends treated me the same. They didn't know who Billy Graham was. Sure. They didn't really care. They wanted to know if you had the latest Nintendo game, your yes. video game, or <laughs> or you know if you were a good soccer player or football player. That was the things they they were more worried about. Totally. And so I was treated very much normal for the most part. But um, probably around about the time of five, I started realizing something just a tad bit different about my granddad. People knew about him. When did you get to realize that he was? literally world famous I, I don't know a certain time but i you know i knew it for a long time but i probably didn't understand the full impact until i even i got to college mm. i think because i was then i went to a christian university liberty university uh which is the world's largest christian university now when i went to school there it became pretty evident i had a lot of people knocking on my doors wanting to talk about billy graham or meet billy graham's grandson and i started to see the impact that he's had on the christian world from other christians perspective so it really changed my outlook about my granddaddy all good but nothing bad just yes. i couldn't see that i saw more of an impact what were your strongest early memories of him being a granddad he always treats his grandchildren like grandchildren 
never preached at them, want to know what was going on in your life. Most of my memories were always around his crusades. He spent his whole life on the road almost. few memories at home, but most of them were on the road somewhere, whether it's in London, some other city. Was it a weird thing or an impressive thing or an impactive thing to see your granddaddy, as you speak of him, no, up there in front no- of those thousands of people? It was just a normal thing. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but to me that was normal. Because yes. it's, it's the only thing I knew. That's you know, your normal. For me, for me yes. it was everybody's granddad did this. Yeah. Now, I knew that wasn't true, but I, I never had a time when I wasn't Billy Graham's grandson. Yeah. So, you know, even today, my grandfather's 93. I'm grateful for my grandfather. He's doing extremely well. Uh, his health is uh, fairly good. His mind's excellent. It's just his body's kind of given out at 93. He's written a book over the last year called Nearing Home, which is such a poignant title. And one thing that struck me out of that book was his declaration that growing old is not for the faint-hearted. Oh. He hates every moment of it. <laughs> Does he? Oh, he hates Poor it. Luck. Yeah, well, and it, because it's the things that he wants to do that he can't do anymore. Yeah. It's very hard to eat. You know, your motor skills start to decline. The things that growing old that you, you wish you could do yourself, but you got to get someone else to help you. Most of my granddaddy's friends are in heaven. Most of his family members are in heaven. He's got one sister. His wife's already gone. His, his other sister and brother are already gone. A lot of his friends are already gone. I mean, the only friends that are still around are George Beverly Shea and Cliff Barrett. <laughs> and so they're, uh, which they're still a team. Oh, um, wonderful. He's longing for heaven. He must then, I was just going to say, look with such hope to the future if he hates everything of what he's going through at the moment. It's just been tough. Yeah. But, but he realized God has him here for a reason. Yes. And so he, he still wants to fulfill what God wants him to do, whether it's meeting with people, shaking hands, praying with people, giving people advice, writing books. In, uh, in 2013, uh, the, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in the United States is going to launch the largest evangelical outreach that our nation has ever seen. And we're going to do it on November 7th, 2013, which is his 95th birthday. And so it's going to be the largest um, evangelical outreach that uh, our country has ever experienced. We're going to do it in Canada as well. We've done it in other nations. Uh, but now we focused on our own nation, and uh, it's going to be on my grandfather's birthday. And so uh, he's really looking with anticipation to that uh, and trying to be a part of that as much as he can. So it's going to be done by television. But yes. um, it's going to be like a one-day crusade, but instead of coming to a stadium, you do it in your homes. Counselors open up their homes, invite their friends, turn around on the television, watch Billy Graham preach, an older message from 1980s or something. Yes. And then uh, the counselors are going to be there to follow up with them. I'm sure we will be following that on Open House with great interest. Your own journey with the Christian faith started very young with your dad, didn't it? It did. Um, I remember one particular day I was at church. It was it happened to be Communion Sunday, and I had kind of gotten to the age where I didn't have to go to children's church. I was now in a big church. At what age? <laughs> at this about six or seven years old. Yep. And uh, it was Communion Sunday. And to me, I was like, hey, it's grown-up snacks. I like this. Because you know, we used to get like a little <laughs> snack in children's church. And I was like, hey, the, the grown-ups get it. And they get, they get bread and a little thing of juice. This is great. And so I was wanting it because you know, I thought it was snack. And when it came by, uh, I remember my dad saying, no, you can't have any. And I thought it was because he thought I was going to spill the grape juice on the carpet, you know, the church carpet. <laughs> I didn't know. And, He's um, tough, that dad. Of it was. Like, dad yeah. was real mean. <laughs> But um, later that afternoon, uh, back home, I didn't think twice about it. Your, your dad says no, it's no. I mean, I didn't question a bit. 
and didn't think about it, twice about it. By the time I got home, Dad took me up to my room and explained to me why I couldn't have it. And it was because I had never asked Jesus to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. And so, uh, Dad, my father explained that to me. And uh, that afternoon, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And, you know, it wasn't like I was a, a murderer, or, but I still knew, that even at a young age, that I needed Jesus in my life. If I wanted to spend eternity with God, which I wanted to, then I have to have Jesus in my life. So I surrendered my life to Christ that day. It doesn't mean I understood everything about the Bible or everything about theology, what God did. But that's when I started putting my faith into Jesus Christ. It's a very big step for someone so young. Well, it, it's a big step for everybody, I guess. Yes. But uh, I, And I'm so grateful that it happened to me at a young age. Do you ever have doubts about this faith? Someone in such a family and committed to such an enterprise as the Billy Graham organization is, does it allow you ever to have doubts about that faith? I'm not sure if doubts are the right word, but you know, there's, there's definitely times I mess up. I think my biggest doubts come from, God, is this what you want me to be doing? Yeah. You know, or is it something else? You, you, did you want me in the local church? You want me working at Samaritan's Purse? You, you want me working for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association? That's probably where I have more doubts. You know, Lord, exactly what do you want me to be doing? How, how do you want me to best serve you? Is it much of a juggle with your own personal faith? keeping it real, keeping it living, keeping it personal, and not be somewhat overwhelmed by the enterprise so it becomes more a faith of enterprise than something personal. Yeah, it's the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is a, uh, you know, it's a ministry, but that's not a substitute for my own spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. And so there's no substitute for it. And I, and I try to tell people reading a good book or a good commentary is not a substitute for reading God's Word. And so I try to spend time in God's Word uh, to the best of my ability, each and every day. Uh, just studying, memorizing, working on sermons, whatever it might be. But that's for me growing with the Lord. And oftentimes, I, I learn. I mean, there's a lot of times I remember uh, getting ready for a sermon. I'd be going over my preparation, my sermon. And God's just speaking to me. He said, Will, this is something that you're struggling with in your own life right now. And so um, I was like, all right, Lord, what do I need to do? You know, how do I need to correct it? And so, and then oftentimes, the Lord makes me share that with the public the next, you know, that Sunday or something or when I'm preaching. By far, the Grams are no perfect people. We struggle with everything like everybody else. In our family, we've had heartache, divorces, separations, deaths. I mean, we've struggled with everything like everybody else. Loss of jobs. We're not immune to that stuff. But we know where our focus needs to be, and that's Jesus Christ. So we're not a perfect family. The Graham family's not. But... We know who to go to. I'm sure you've reflected on this question, certainly in your college years and being in the family that you've been. The question of why and what it was about that time of your grandfather that ended up being so significant in the life of uh, Christian communities and nations even, like the famous 1959 crusade, for instance, in Australia. What it was about that time, what it was about him that God chose to use? Well, I don't think it was anything about Billy Graham. I'm sure he would say that too. And, um, you know, this was all about Jesus Christ reaching the people of this world. And so it was never about Billy Graham. Granted, God used my grandfather. But to be honest, it could have been anybody else. This just, just happened to be the person God chose. And I think what uh, I love about my grandfather was, was my grandfather was willing. And my grandfather, when he was a young kid, he never was dreaming of this stuff. He didn't think of this stuff. Matter of fact, all the people say, you know, why did you travel so hard when you were so young? I mean, why did you do all this stuff? All these crusades, you know, back to back to back to back, all these places. 
He said, because I thought in a few years it was going to be over. <laughs> yeah, because he had no idea that it was going to continue. And uh, and the he never asked for fame. He never asked for money. He never asked for a position. I think God would have used anybody that was in that was willing to do that. It just happened, to, in my case, to be my grandfather. And he was a dairy farmer. I mean, he was a, a farmer. No, I mean, he was a nobody. And his dad had no name. There was no Billy Graham before... 1949, in the sense of the public's eye. No one even heard of him. No one really cared. It's something he never saw. And one of the greatest characteristics of my grandfather is people say, what's his greatest characteristic? And I say, his humility. Yes. And they say, well, what makes him special in life? And I say, well, it's not necessarily his humility, but what happened was the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. And because my grandfather stayed humble before God, God just put an extra measure of grace around him like a bubble. And Satan couldn't get to him because that grace was, God just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, Billy, by now allowing you to go through these issues in life. I'm going to protect you for you, you, that you can be my instrument, my tool to reach a generation all around the world. I can understand that because he bridged such two extremes, the fame and the notoriety and the millions of people, but the humble character. Mm-hmm. Very humble. And yet sought out by presidents and, and all but the great people. he never to meet president. There's been 44 U.S. presidents. Barack Obama's president, number 44, which is, there's only been 44 in the history of our country. My grandfather has known 12 of the 44. That's over 25%. And personally. Personally known them. My grandfather only asked to meet one of them. That was Harry Truman, the same man who dropped the atomic bomb in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it was a disaster. So after that, he never asked to meet another one. Why was it a disaster? Well, what happened was he learned something real important with the press. (laughs) (laughs) Lots uh, of those lessons to learn. He came came out, the press interviewed him, and he kind of spilled the beans. Truman got mad because he thought Billy Graham was just trying to make himself famous by meeting with the president. My grandfather realized he got used by the press. He needed a mind-up. Well, and he learned. It never never happened again. And it was a valuable lesson. Uh, Truman was mad at my grandfather. It wasn't until... Years later, after Truman was out of office, that my grandfather got to go see him again, apologizing to him in person. And they became friends, and Truman died a few years later. My grandfather's never asked to meet presidents. It's just something that God just put him in front of. Of all the things that I'm sure you've learnt of your grandfather, what would be the top thing that you've got from him? As any son, or grandson for that matter, we always want to please our father and our grandfather. And I hope that I've always been pleasing to him. But at the end of the day... I'm not here to please them. I'm here to please my God, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that I can honor my grandfather by being faithful to Jesus Christ. And that's what my grandfather's been. He's been very faithful to God. He's not been perfect. He's a sinner like any one of us. He has his shortcomings. Uh, They're a lot fewer than most of us. (laughs) But but he's not perfect. He needs Jesus just like everybody else. Uh, You know, if I can just realize how much I, I still need Jesus each and every day, That'll go a long ways in my life. How would you communicate that to the people listening on the radio right now for themselves? Don't put your hope and faith in Billy Graham. Don't put your trust into Billy Graham. There's only one person who died for your sin that can change your life, and that's Jesus. Uh, so don't follow the followers of Jesus, but follow. that's why Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, follow my followers. He said, follow me. And so I just encourage people to keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll never let you down. There's other Christians in this world that are going to let you down. Billy Graham is going to let you down one day. Will Graham's going to let you down. Your preacher's going to let you down. Your Christian neighbor's going to let you down. But Jesus Christ never will. Will Graham, it's a privilege meeting you and uh, an absolute delight 
chatting with you on Open House. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, well, thank you so much. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.